0: All right, let's get to the phone lines. Let's see, Craig, uh, Kay, Janet, and Ronnie, my next callers. Good morning, Craig.
1: Good morning, Bob. Got a couple of questions for you. Yes, the sir. First question: Got an ash tree in front of our house. It's probably about twenty years old. How long will those last?
0: On average, an ash tree, if taken care of, is going to be uh, good for maybe forty years. If oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. If they don't get watered, uh they're going to start getting unhealthy by the time they're 20 years old. I suppose in absolutely perfect conditions, you might stretch it out a little bit longer, but if I had an ash that was 35 to 40 years old, I'd be real th- serious thinking real seriously about what its replacement's going to be.
1: Okay. Next is um grass for shady area. I know you got a preference of a certain St. Augustine which Which one do you
0: like? The two St. Augustines that are probably best in shade, one of them is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. The other is called Palmetto. Uh, They are not only shade tolerant, they are both fairly compact St. Augustines. They don't have to be mowed quite as often as some of the others. Now, there are places that are too shady, even for these grasses, but uh, Palmetto and Delmar, I would be very happy with either of those in the shade.
1: All right, and then my last question
2: buying ladybugs mm-hmm. does it work for the garden i mean what's the uh or do they, are they gonna fly
0: my neighbors some of both um okay they they what you have to realize is that nobody sells ladybug larvae ladybug larvae are the hungry ones they're the teenagers they're the ones that uh Oh, I have a friend that had to actually get a second refrigerator so the teenagers would stay out of hers. Uh, the ladybug larvae are the really hungry ones that gobble up all the aphids, all the bad things that you're trying to get rid of. The adult ladybug doesn't do a whole lot except lay eggs and, you know, make more larvae and maybe eat a few of the bugs. So your idea is to get those ladybugs to stick around long enough to lay a bunch of eggs that you'll have that weird-looking little larvae out there to take care of your insect pests. So what we recommend on ladybugs is don't put them out till evening. Uh, They're going to come out of the bag uh, hungry and thirsty and uh, with other things on their mind, shall we say. So spray the area down with water, release them in the evening. That's going to keep them in the neighborhood long enough to uh, get a lot of eggs laid and to get a lot of uh, larvae out there. Now, if you don't have aphids, if you don't have anything for them to eat, uh, then they're going to move on elsewhere. So, um, but they are they are very effective at controlling uh, most of the uh, the insect problems that we face in the garden, primarily aphids.
1: Wonderful. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you do the same, Greg. Great questions. Thanks for getting to the point. Kay is up next. Good morning, K. Good morning. Good morning.
2: Um,
3: I do uh, container gardening, Uh and I found the top shelf, Mm -hmm. and they had had the garden soil, and they had the potting soil. So what would you recommend, like for tomatoes or Swiss chard or kale or whatever you're going to plant? What would be better? What's the difference?
0: Okay, and now so you're going to be planting these in containers, not in the ground. That's right. The garden soil products actually contain some real mineral earth. Um, the products, like their top shelf compost, are strictly compost only. If I were going to create what I thought was a good container blend, I'd probably mix them half and half. I'd take their garden soil, and then I would mix uh, about an equal amount of compost with it. And that would, to me, that would create pretty much a perfect soil for most vegetables. Now, if I were going to grow succulents and things, I'd stay more with just the potting soil. If I were going to grow blueberries or something like that that really overdo it on wanting you know the more acidic soils and things like that, then I grow them in virtually pure compost. But on the top shelf line for making a good uh, product for container gardening, I just go half and half. I mix half compost and half garden soil.
3: Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot.
0: Oh, you're certainly welcome. <laughs> Let me keep going here and talk to uh, Janet. Good morning, Janet.
3: Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have, I have been battling white slots unsuccessfully and i'm wondering if you can give me a few more clues
0: what kind of plants are you fighting whitefly on
3: Uh, my little miniature roses
0: okay um first of all whitefly are always going to be worst on plants that are getting a little stressed i'm are your miniature roses in pots are they in the ground they're in pot. Okay. I'm going to tell you probably feed a little more often and water a little bit more often, and, uh, and you should reduce the stress. But as far as killing the whitefly, the only product that really works against them is one of the insecticidal soaps because it's the only one that gets the eggs, the larvae, and the adults on the whitefly. Now, um they there is a product out there now called Spinosad soap which is a mixture of Spinosad and insecticidal soap and that would work very well but either that or safers or one of the other brands of insecticidal soaps and what you have to do is is coat things very thoroughly and the whitefly larvae are going to be on the back side of the leaf not on the top of the leaf so i'd be taking my roses i'd get above them i'd spray as thoroughly as i could then i would tip the pot over on its side and I would try to spray enough to hit the bottom side of the leaves. But you will get white flies under control, but it's sort of a two-step process. Like I said, first of all, try to reduce any stress at all on the roses, but the insecticidal soaps are just the only things that I've ever found that work against them.
3: Okay. They are they are just
0: very, very persistent. Oh why, they are and uh, just a nuisance. Uh, fortunately, they're not something that, you know, is really life threatening overnight to your roses but they you know you'll start getting that black mold where uh the excrement that they leave behind white flies are just truly disgusting and uh there are some things that naturally there are actually some little wasps that parasitize the white flies so Stay organic and everything around them. and Mother nature will help you with controlling them. But uh, again, the the answer is a soap type spray, and the answer is to just just literally be sure you coat every leaf surface. If you do that within two weeks, I do it. I do it once. I would wait two week or wait a week and do it a second time, and you should be totally free of white fly. Now there are some other things that they like to get on, like crepe myrtles. Uh, in the vegetable garden they love to get on okra Um, they can sometimes be an issue on sweet potatoes so these are things that you need to watch but um, you should be able to get them under control within a week or two
2: okay well i thank you very much
0: well it's my pleasure i thank you for the call this morning and uh let's see let's go and get ronnie in here talked all four phone lines in the first segment here good morning ronnie are you... Let's see. Let me hit that one oh. more time. Be you there, Ronnie? Yes, sir. Good morning. Yes,
4: yeah, sir. How are you doing today? I'm
0: great. How about you?
4: I'm doing okay. I got a few questions, if you don't mind, sir. Go right ahead. Uh, the first one, I have a dark red-brown house. And I'm looking something a bush with white flowers. and I looked online. Azaleas? Is that possible?
0: It's full shade. Full shade azaleas are possible. Now... <clears throat> The thing about azaleas, number one, they take lots of water. You'll be watering them twice as often as everything else. And they absolutely hate San Antonio soil. So you're going to um, dig most of the soil out of that bed and replace it with almost pure compost to get azaleas to grow well. Now, second thing about azaleas, uh, if you're going to choose azaleas, look for a a group of azaleas that are called Encore, E-N-C-O-R-E. Old-fashioned azaleas, the the problem is they bloom one time and that's it for the year. The Encore, and that's the way they get their name, is that they can come back and bloom more than once in a season, so you get your white flowers over a longer period of time.
4: Anything else you would recommend for that area?
0: For shrubs, you know, azaleas and uh, gardenias are going to give you um, white flowers uh, there are gosh, in the shade, there are some perennials that could give you, uh, they're not really going to make big shrubs, but there is a white plumbago that would be quite attractive. There are a couple of white salvias that would be attractive in that area. Um, there is another shrub you really have to look for it, but it's called Philadelphus, uh, commonly called mock orange up North. But it has relatively brief bloom period. I'm going to tell you to really, to really get the maximum number of white flowers, uh, you're going to need to plant some annuals down in front of this bed where you plant your shrubs. You can plant white impatiens, you can plant white begonias, you can plant white caladiums. Uh, these are things that are going to give you plenty of white flowers, literally. Every day through the uh, warmer months of the year, in the winter months, you can plant white cyclamen, which will give you beautiful white flowers, uh, you know, every day of the cooler season. So um, if, if you want to do all the work that's involved with growing azaleas or gardenias, those are still probably going to be two of your very best that will give you flowers over somewhat extended period of time but uh, really see why your annuals and perennials are are capable of giving you lots of white every day of the year with uh, no more than average maintenance
4: thank you sir and, and indian hawthorns are, are is there a better one to buy now
0: uh there if you want a white indian hawthorn now indian hawthorn have to have full sun uh, so
4: this is a different area
0: okay so. yeah. um and the uh, again, they want richer soils, so you're probably going to want to work some compost in. But Snow White is a white Indian hawthorn. Uh, in your pinks, you've got you know lots of different choices out there. I would tend to stay away from the really big ones. There is a one that grows about eight feet tall called Majestic Beauty, but it just gets its roots down in our crappy soils, and after a few years, it, it just doesn't seem to do well. Uh, but the dwarf to medium sized Indian hawthorns. So long as you give them good soil and full sun, uh, and keep the deer away from them, they're one of the favorite deer foods out there. If that's an issue to you, that's but no, uh, sir. Okay, no, they're they're still fine plants, and uh, in good soil, they're very trouble free.
4: Is there a white lantana?
0: Yes, there are several white lantanas. Uh, There is a trailing white lantana that blooms principally or blooms heavily spring and fall and then has some flowers, and and they just call it trailing white. It's a white lantana monovidensis, if you want to be botanically correct. And uh, then there is uh, a white upright lantana, sort of a creamy white one. The old-fashioned one is called silver mound, and it's still one of the best, but it is one of your more upright white-blooming lantanas.
4: And if you have time for one more, what colors of Esperanzas besides yellow do they have
0: now? Okay. The big the great big one is uh is always gonna be yellow and the variety you're looking for, um you know, is uh oh golly, give me just a second to think of that one. But in the some of the more compact ones and these ones still go to uh uh you know 5 or 6 feet at least uh there's a very reddish orange one out there there's one that is a true orange there's one that's kind of a butterscotch yellow with a red center and then there's one i think it's called Mayan gold that is a uh, pure yellow but uh, it's it's not the big one. The big one you're looking for is called Gold Star. It just took me a minute to think of that name. Yes, uh, but in uh, the more dwarf one, I believe it's called Mayan Gold, and then there's everything from a uh, kind of butterscotch yellow with a darker center to a tangerine orange to a real reddish orange called Balls of Fire on that one, I think. Uh, I love Esperanzas, again, for the sun, uh, and these new dwarf ones are just in bloom all the time. They're really good plants.
4: The red one's balls of fire, okay. I believe that's I, it. That's where the sun for me. So that's good. And it's. I live in Helotus. Where, where do you recommend to go near Helotus? I'd like to go where you're at. But...
0: Well, if you want to come into San Antonio, we love to see it shades of green. But in Helotus, you're probably going to need to go over toward uh, Bernie and see Hill Country African Violets. Uh, they're near... I mean, from Holotus, you can just cut across Scenic Loop Road, and uh, and they're just a little bit further out on that road. They're actually before you get uh, Bernie and near the Cascade Caverns cut off.
4: Well, well, probably go see you. you Got to drive out there anyway, so be closer. Maybe to go to you anyway.
0: Always love to see you. Appreciate the call.
4: Thank you for
0: for, for everything, sir. Always, always welcome, Ronnie. Thanks for the call. All right, let's get back to gardening. Uh, it's going to be John and Lewis, and uh, my line three caller just phone cut out on them. Uh, hopefully, we'll get them back on right now. I think it was Bob, but anyway, we start with John and Lewis, and John's first. Good morning, John.
1: Good morning, Bob. Uh, a little damp, but not a bad day.
0: Well, we needed okay. a lot damp for the, <laughs> it, you know, it may be hard on Saturday activities, but boy, we're dry out there.
1: Well, I just looked at my. I'm on my way to the airport. Look at my flying uh, radar, and it looks like most of the rain's already gone past us. Uh. There's more farms south of us. <laughs> but anyway, I need I need some little blue bonnet information. Okay. Okay, I'm going to take your uh, tip, and I'm going to collect the pods. I got a real nice blueberry uh, blue bonnet patch. Uh uh-huh. collect those pods, put them in a the plastic bag, and let them pop open.
0: Put them in a paper uh, bag and let them pop open.
1: Paper bag? Yeah. To, okay, paper bag. Now I anticipate having a bunch of seeds, uh-huh. and I know I need to scarify them.
0: Not really. Now, Mother Nature doesn't scarify them. If you want to...
1: Uh, yeah.
0: If you I'm want to... Germ, germinate
1: yeah. the next year without it?
0: A lot of them will. Fresh seed will largely germinate. Now, if you want 100% germination, uh, you do need to scarify, and to do that, you find somebody with a rock tumbler, gem tumbler they use for polishing stones, uh, just dump your seed in there and put in a little powdered carborundum or something like that, and uh, let them sit there and churn for 30 minutes or so, and you'll have super scarified seeds, but you, with fresh seeds, you're probably going to get at least 60% germination, and uh, that's not a bad rate at all without scarifying so it's up to you it's just how much trouble you want to go to
1: well you hit the nail on the head i'm a, a jewelry hobbyist and i have that vibrator ah, okay and uh i was going to ask you if i could do that but you've already answered that question now <laughs>
0: great minds in the same gutter right
1: yeah, well yeah it I, I couldn't see myself hand-filing the notch on all those.
0: <laughs> no. And, and do do wait until those little seed pods start to yellow. Don't harvest them green, but you want to get them while they're yellow but before they turn brown. And, um, you know, you're going to have a few of them going to get burst anyway, which is going to be good for reestablishing the blue bonnets in that area. But don't, uh, don't harvest them too soon. Once the pods start to yellow, they're mature, and that's the perfect time to grab them and put them in your paper bag.
1: Well, now, they are they perennial? I don't need to reseed my
0: patch, do I? Uh, the plants are not perennial. The plants die completely, but okay. uh, they do tend to reseed. When I was talking to John Thomas one time, who's the biggest harvester of wildflower seeds in the world, he said that with the best equipment that they can find, they still figure they only get about a third of the seed that's out there. So uh, they they are a reseeding biennial, actually. They have two different life stages, the fall stage is a little flat rosette of leaves. The spring stage is the upright plant that produces the flower. So they're biennial, not perennial, but they are very effective at reseeding.
1: Yes, I've seen that. Now, my last blue bonnet, how far north can you go with blue bonnets and have them survive?
0: Well, there are actually, I think, six different blue bonnet species Uh, Here in Texas, uh, we, you know, you don't want to be getting East Texas Blue Bonnets. You don't want to get the Big Bend Blue Bonnets for this area. Uh, Blue Bonnets, per se, are not going to go a whole lot further than the Red River. But when you start going further north, then you move into a whole class of plants that are very closely related that they simply call lupins and there are very fancy, huge flowering bluebonnet-type plants called the Russell lupins that may get two feet tall. That uh, These things are just incredible. You can't grow them here, but that's what you're going to see growing in Colorado and Wyoming and uh, the Northeast. And then they have wild lupins. Uh, I've ridden many a horse up the side of a mountain trying to keep its head up from wanting to graze on the lupins along the trail. But our Texas bluebonnet, uh, not going to go much north of the Red River. Our Hill Country Blue Bonnet, uh, probably not going to go much north of Waco.
1: Well, Bob, once again, you've taken care of me. Thank oh, well, you
0: very much. It's my pleasure. I appreciate the call, John. Thank you, sir. Bye. And goodbye. All right, let's get back to gardening here, and I want to do this in order. Let's see. Uh, Lewis is up first, and it'll be Bob and Dolores and Brittany. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh,
5: couple three questions on uh different topics the first i was going to ask you about was i heard you mention tattoo series vinca on yes. an earlier show right so i ordered some seeds and i, I grow a lot of vincas but i've never started from seeds i usually get the uh reseedings you know right. the little seedlings kind of uh-huh. from flower beds i move those but i grow a lot of vincas as a filler how do you how, what's your advice on growing vincas from seed
0: well first of all it needs to be very warm vinca is very susceptible to a uh uh disease, uh damping off type disease called phytophthora wilt and the best way to avoid that is number one uh germinate them on a propagating mat or you know when the soil is very warm i would uh, you do not want to bury vinca seeds too deeply i mean maybe an eighth of an inch deep i would use a very fine screened soil for starting them uh you can make your own little screen with like uh Oh, what is it? Eight not eighth inch, but quarter inch, uh, um, hardware cloth and whatever kind of soil you're going to use for starting. Even if it says germinator mix, run it through that screen to take out any big clods, uh, Plant your seed, uh, maybe like, say, an eighth of an inch of soil over the top. Uh, I sprinkle a little cornmeal on because this grows the trichoderma fungus. It'll take care of some of the bad fungi. And then I'll, I water with a mist nozzle. There's a nozzle out there. It's solid brass, lasts for about 100 years, but it's called a fog, F-O-G-G, fog nozzle, and that's what I grow with. And once you've got them up and growing, you know what to do from there. But uh, that Tattoo Series, they're just the most – intensely colored Venka I have ever seen and um, I've seen a lot of Venka in my day and they are moderately resistant they're about like Cora the Cora the was a new series that came out about four or five years right. ago mm-hmm. and uh, they're about the same uh, resistance as Cora as far as Phytophthora wilt goes but just don't give it a chance to get started okay which What's colors of tattoo did you choose
5: I'm sorry As say it again please
0: which, which colors of the tattoo line are you going to grow
5: Oh goodness! Um, it's a um, goodness. There's three or four colors I yeah. ordered. They're little, um, you know, twenty seeds to a seed pack. Oh, okay. You know, one of those little
0: things where you're okay. paying about,
5: <laughs> you know, the small, the small seed packs from I can't remember who was offering these. If it was it's, Burpee or but one No, the it's ball packs. seed. Ball
0: seed is the one.
5: Ball seed, then, and I was getting the small, just the small packets, just to try them out this year for the colors. But uh, three, I think there was three different colors they had offered in yeah. seeds, and then well, some others for plants. But they I just...
0: Yeah, you'll love them all. They're they're spectacular.
5: they yeah. they wanted twenty five dollars a piece for the plants for Vincon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very proud oh, of them. You. Yep.
5: The using the cornmeal, I've never done that as a as a precautionary measure on seedlings. When when would you put that on? Would you wait till the, after emergence?
0: Or? No, I'd, I'd. Well, I'd uh, your seed. What do they give you germination time? Seven to ten days. Something like that. Yeah, I'd probably put it on about the sixth day.
5: Okay. Okay. And just and, a light sprinkling. Yeah,
0: just not a so. very, very light sprinkling. And one thing that you probably already know, Lewis, but uh, venkat can be propagated from cuttings. Uh, once you get these right. things up and growing, once you make good plants out of them, you can make more of them from cuttings. And long as you're, well, I don't even know if it's patented or not, but you don't, you only have to buy that expensive seed once. I'll put it that way. Sure, sure.
5: And I like the said, and they typically overwinter where I'm at, so Good. I usually uh, come back from the ground. My my second question I'm gonna shift gears with you is about beneficial insects, specifically uh-huh. green green lace wings and Trichogramma wasps. Okay. Uh advice on uh, raising those in your sources. I uh, use those in my pecan grove, my fruit orchard, my gardens. Yeah, Your experiences with using those.
0: Well, I, I, it's not really something that I think you can do at home. I mean, uh, when you buy Trichogramma, what you're buying are little moth eggs that are already parasitized. You've got a little developing wasp larvae in there. I would know how to do that. They do that in a lab process. Uh, they're, they call them insectories where they produce these things. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's several places around that, uh, you know, that produce them. The green lace wings, again, I'm, I just, I, I wouldn't know really how to produce them. One of the most important things with lace wings, of course, is just identifying them. Uh, they are, um, The egg is so interesting because they lay the egg on top of that little upright white silk, and it's the funniest-looking thing. One thing you could do where you find these things naturally occurring in nature is uh, if the mama... Uh lacewing that's gonna lay the eggs uh feels you know or senses that there's not a lot of food out there. They lay their eggs very close together and the lacewing larvae eat each other and uh get just a few survivors, which then go out and forage and do their thing. Um and when there seems to be an abundant food supply, then they spread their egg they spread their eggs out over a wider area. I guess one thing you could do, knowing what to look for, knowing what the eggs look like, is if you find an area where you find a whole bunch of little eggs very close together, you could very carefully, with a fine pair of scissors, you could cut those up and spread them out a little bit further, and you would very definitely wind up with more of the larvae. But, uh you know, unless you're going to invest $100,000 in a lab, I don't think, you know, growing them is, is really a home process
5: i apologize i wouldn't
0: i wouldn't wasn't, I wasn't intend on growing them i just want to use them. oh okay do you yeah i mean how do you use them um you. you know just about any nursery uh uh, can get them for you. I want to say that the there's a company here in Texas, it's Rincon, R-I-N-C-O-N, something like Rincone Vitata or something, I think is our only Texas company, but uh, you can buy directly from them. We get a lot of them through a company up in uh, Colorado called uh, Hydro Gardens. But uh, I'm sure if you just Google insectaries, you'll find various sources for them. But I think it's Rincon, Rincon Vitaura is the one here in Texas that produces a lot.
5: Okay. Okay. And uh, my last question I had for you this morning was in the latest Acres USA, there was an article about soft rock phosphate, really, really interesting article. hmm and it mentioned using silica with rock phosphate. Now, this gentleman is riding from the upper Midwest. I think Right. we're obviously a little more neutral soil pH or closer to neutral. And they're talking about, you know, applying it in tonnages. Have you ever heard of that combination of using the silicate products with the rock phosphate?
0: Not really and I don't think uh, in our area it would be all that beneficial because rock phosphate is just not something you get any benefit from broadcasting and blending into the soil. You almost have to put your rock phosphate out as a solid layer that your plants uh, put their roots right directly through it Mm -hmm. because it becomes totally insoluble and totally unavailable to the plants and I, this is probably a beneficial practice in the Midwest, um, but I, I don't think you would gain anything by trying to do that here.
5: Okay. I was just curious if you'd ever heard of anybody trying, I'm a little more, uh, less calcareous soil than what you've got. So, that's why I was just curious if you ever heard of using that combination. Of well,
0: I, was gonna... I, I I like you. I read Acres regularly, but uh, I'm you know my my gardening is more horticulture than agriculture, so it's not mm-hmm. something that I that I have tried. And quite frankly, I'd start with a good soil test. I have never seen a soil in this area that was really deficient in phosphorus it's just a question of whether it's available to the plants and that's why we supplement our tomatoes and things with a layer of rock face for rock phosphate for them to root through okay good, good questions good. Lewis. i appreciate the call you get out and have a good weekend and uh, do a rain dance thank you, bob. Thank you so much <laughs> bye all right let's talk to a man with a really good name good morning bob good morning bob i've got a couple of questions for you myself okay
2: i'm going to be raising, uh, um, I guess a raised garden, I'm going to be putting them in like the molasses tubs. Uh Uh-huh. And I heard you say before that you needed to paint them a brighter color instead of leaving them black so that, that, uh, you know, they don't absorb as much
0: heat. Right.
2: I bought some uh, Ladybug Revitalizer. Uh Uh-huh. And I've got a load of uh, topsoil. Okay. Did I mix that Revitalizer with the topsoil?
0: I mix it about two parts topsoil, one part Revitalizer, and I think you'd have a perfect growing medium.
2: Okay, and another question is I bought some, I went to Aquaro, to the full Yeah, and I bought some orange oil, and what I want to do is like a fence line, I live out in the country, uh-huh. I've talked a couple of times before, and I want to be able to do my fence lines, about how strong should I make that, that orange oil, the water?
0: Well, the orange oil doesn't do anything other than soften the plants up, you need to mix it with vinegar, not with water, um, you can mix orange okay. oil and water for insect control, But if you're trying to control weeds, uh, you add no water whatsoever. You put about two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar for weed control. Now, insect control, we go everything from a teaspoon per gallon if we're going to be drenching a pot up to a couple of ounces per gallon if we're treating wood for uh, wood ants, carpenter ants, things like that. But along a fence line, you're probably weed control, and that's two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of strong vinegar.
2: Okie dokie, that helps out there. And I bought some of the, uh, I can't remember what the fertilizer was, the organic fertilizer. Uh, But uh, can I put a little bit of that in with the plants whenever I plant the plants? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. No, you can, the organic products can be blended in with the soil, can be sprinkled in the hole before you plant. Uh, There's not really a wrong way to use organic fertilizers.
2: Okay. Is there there, uh, uh, too much that I can use while I burn something?
0: You would never burn, but you could be wasteful in doing it. You know, a gallon container, I would never use more than, you know, maybe a teaspoon, a heaping teaspoon full of fertilizer. Uh, Something the size of a molasses tub, I'd probably use one to two cups of fertilizer.
2: And just sprinkle it on the top and water it in?
0: Or just blend it into the soil before you plant, or after it's planted, just put it on top and water it.
2: All right, sir. I appreciate the information.
0: Always a pleasure, Bob. Appreciate the call. And talk to Dolores and Brittany, and Dolores is up first. Good morning.
3: Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning?
0: I'm doing just fine, thank you. Just watching the weather and wondering what it's going to do.
3: Well, I wish we could send you some of this rain we're supposed to be getting. I think we've had enough for a while.
0: <laughs> well, I envy you there. I, I've got cracks in the ground around my ranch that I'd sure like to see fill in. So maybe it will, maybe it won't, but we'll make the most of it.
3: Takes what we get, don't we? <laughs>
0: That's right.
3: Uh, uh, I have a question about uh, Rio Grande peaches. Okay. I bought, I purchased two. They both had blooms on them when I got them. Mm-hmm. and. hmm uh, one has lost all the blooms, and the other one has peaches on it, a little bit smaller than a golf ball. Okay. Uh, if uh, Planting those, if I plant them together, how close can I plant them, or how far apart do I need to?
0: Base of one tree to the other, I plant them about 15 feet apart, would be as close as I would go. Um, if you plant them further apart, I wouldn't, if you're counting on getting cross-pollination, I probably wouldn't move them more than 100 feet apart, but you could put them as close as 15 feet apart. Where are you located, Dolores?
3: In Freer, Texas.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
3: Down in the country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rio Grande is probably going to be a, a pretty good variety for you. It's a very low-chilling peach. And if you get too far north, the problem is that it always blooms early. But uh, it was one of these varieties that was uh, developed and that it didn't take a lot of cold so that uh, you folks that are down uh, a little further south in rattlesnake country, um, <laughs> so that you could grow a good peach. It should be a good peach for you and uh, should just get better better year after year. Uh, man, it sounds like you're going to get to at least taste the peaches this year. That's a good thing.
3: Hopefully. Uh, what about planting them? We have some high winds out here sometimes, uh-huh. like 17, 17 to 20 miles an hour. Uh, are they going to be affected
0: by that? As young trees, they probably... Could have a little bit of dehydration issues. Once they're established, no, that's not going to be a big deal to them. But when you plant those out, or for that matter, while they're in the container, every time you think about it, pick up the hose and just spray up and down the trunks and the branches uh, bef- until they get a really big root system going. They will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through that soft bark, and they would love it if. Uh, I know the years I worked with uh, Mr. Alton Grimm up in the Hill Country, uh, we used to, when we had had our bare root peaches and freshly planted peaches boy we tried to get out there 10 times a day with a hose and just spray not the soil but just spray over the trunks and limbs of the tree and that would help to get them started but long term no peaches will do just fine they don't care about the wind
3: okay what about the arbacana olives um i have my son has one he bought a house and it had one in the yard the lady that sold it to him didn't know how long the tree had been there, but she said as far as she knew, it had never uh, produced any fruit. Is there a fertilizer that can be used for that, or do they need cross-pollination?
0: They're always better with cross-pollination, but uh, uh, the main thing with arbutus and most olives is they need plenty of sunlight. Is his in the sun or in the shade?
3: No, it gets all mo- all morning sun and, uh, and well. most sun-
0: it would it would like really sun all day long probably help to plant a second variety uh, maybe plant a mission along with the Arbacania or at least plant a second Arbacania but just give them any good organic fertilizer three four times a year they should be fine any
3: any organic
0: you say yeah any good organic could be Medina could be Maestro Grove could be Nature's Creation any of those will be just fine
3: okay then i guess that pretty much answers my question
0: well i appreciate Got to the call
3: gotta get somebody out here to dig the holes now to to
0: it. <laughs> well in frayer it's not quite as bad as digging in the hill country rocks so you have a good day we'll talk again and i'll finish this hour up with Brittany. good morning Brittany. good morning good morning
3: Hi. we have about five acres and we have little boys who like to walk around on it uh-huh. and we have bull nettle starting to take over oh wow um and so we don't know obviously pulling it and things like that aren't really effective and so we were seeing if you had any good options for us about
0: now what you're calling bull nettle is the low growing one that has the white flowers and uh yeah the only – I have gotten totally rid of it. I had it in a couple of pastures, and I just shredded it off uh, as close to the ground as I could. I think I shredded it about three times one spring, and it just stopped coming back. You can spray it. It, it would be important uh, if you're going to use the orange oil vinegar spray. Put a little extra dish soap in there because it the leaves have that kind of hairy growth on them, so it's harder for the uh, orange oil and vinegar mix to get down too – the surface of the leaf to really kill it effectively. But uh, you can try spraying with that. But I just, uh, again, and this was in a field where I'd formerly grown hay, I just made a point to shred it down every time it appeared. And that was about four times over the spring, and it didn't come back after that.
2: Okay, that's what we were thinking, to just use the weed eater and yeah. go after
0: it. But yeah, well, be sure you're wearing long pants and, uh, you know, good boots because you don't want to get that sap all over you. It's It's nasty stuff.
3: Sure. Well, take your advice.
0: Well, you let me know how it works out for you.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Brittany.